This is VLX number 36, Matthew chapter 6, verses 30 to 34. God grant you his peace. Let's begin in prayer. In nomine Patris, Affiliate, Spiritus Sancti. Amen. God, our Lord, we ask the grace that all of our intentions, actions, and operations be directed purely to the service and praise of your divine majesty. In nomine Patris, Affiliate, Spiritus Sancti. Amen. Today our Lord says, But if God so clothes the grass of the field, which today is alive and tomorrow is thrown into the oven, Will he not much more clothe you, O you of little faith? Therefore do not be anxious, saying, What shall we eat, or what shall we drink, or what shall we wear? For the Gentiles seek after all these things, and your heavenly Father knows that you need them all. But seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. Therefore do not be anxious about tomorrow, for tomorrow will be anxious for itself. Sufficient for the day is its own trouble. Thus are the words of the Holy Gospel. So, some very powerful insights coming from the saints today, so please endure these two quick announcements. One, we have some new subscribers. New subscribers, this is my online Ignatian mental prayer series. You don't have to go back and listen to all the previous ones, but you may want to go listen to VLX 1 and VLX 2. And my second announcement is we're doing combined methods. So whether you're doing the apophatic or the cataphatic way, please listen to this whole podcast. Therefore, there will not be a timestamp. Now, let's look at Matthew 6 as Jesus talks about food and clothing and worry. And then he adds this, quote, Your heavenly Father knows that you need them all, but seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. Therefore, do not be anxious about tomorrow, end quote. Now, I think that in some sense, every sin has at its core a fear that God is holding something back from us. Think about it. That second piece of cake, God might be holding some goodness if I don't eat that now. That second curious look at a person's body, God might be holding something of beauty you deserve if you don't look. You say to yourself, I've had a hard life. I get to sneak a peek for a little comfort every once in a while. Maybe it's in choir. There's that little line that demeans someone in your choir because maybe she has already too many people with too high of a view of her. And we believe maybe divine providence might be unjustly cheating me of a better reputation than her. Or maybe you have that little reminder of a past hurt you have to throw at a friend even though you already said, I forgive you to him. I might say, I'm always afraid if I don't exact that pound of flesh, God's justice won't be sufficient for me and maybe his mercy will be too great upon my enemies for me and then, get this, I'm afraid I will personally claim God is unfair. And I want to spare God that pain of me thinking that, so I'm just going to indulge right now. That might sound like a joke, but that's really the story of salvation history. Think of Satan talking to Eve in Genesis 3, quote, The serpent said to the woman, Did God actually say you shall not eat of any tree in the garden? And the woman said to the serpent, We may eat of the fruit of the trees in the garden, but God said you shall not eat of the fruit of the tree that is in the midst of the garden, neither shall you touch it lest you die. But the serpent said to the woman, You will not surely die, for God knows that when you eat of it, your eyes will be opened, and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. So Eve worries that even though God has given her paradise, he must be holding something back at that one tree that she can't eat of. In fact, Satan tricks Eve that God's heart is not good, as the serpent says, For God knows that when you eat of it, your eyes will be opened and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. Ah, God appears to be holding something back from us. Isn't this the error we have in each one of our sins? We don't trust God as good, so we disobey. 
Now, amazing, we have some insight from private revelation. This was even in Satan's situation. Remember, Satan used to be Lucifer. And I don't quote private revelation a lot on this channel because this channel is about divine revelation, which is scripture. But I believe the mystical city of God by Mary of Agrade, it's like this 3,000-page vision that she had of the life of Mary, which has the approbation of many popes. She got to see a lot of things in the history of Mary and Jesus, but also before time. And one of the things she was given was a vision as to why Lucifer turned into Satan. And listen to this. This is kind of a long quote, but it's very, very, very powerful about what Mary of Agreda, this, I think she's venerable or blessed, saw in the life of Mary in a vision of private revelation that has the approbation of several popes. Quote, Then happened that great battle in heaven, which St. John describes in Apocalypse 12, for the obedient and holy angels, filled with an ardent desire of hastening the glory of the Most High and the honor of the Incarnate Word, asked permission and, as it were, the consent of God to resist and contradict the dragon, and the permission was granted. But also another mystery was concealed in all this. When it was revealed to the angels that they would have to obey the Incarnate Word, another, a third precept was given them, namely that they were to admit as a superior conjointly with him a woman in whose womb the only begotten of the Father was to assume flesh and that this woman was to be the queen and mistress of all creatures. The good angels, by obeying this command of the Lord with still increasing and more alert humility, freely subjected themselves, praising the power and the mysteries of the Most High. Lucifer, however, and his confederates rose to a higher pitch of pride and boasting insolence in disorderly fury he aspired to be himself the head of all the human race and of the angelic orders. And if there was to be a hypostatic union, he demanded that it be consummated in him. The decree constituting him in fear to the mother of the incarnate word, our mistress, he opposed with horrible blasphemies. Turning aside the author of these great wonders in unbridled indignation and calling upon the other angels, he exhorted them, saying, Unjust are these commands, an injury is done to my greatness. This human nature, which thou, Lord, lookest upon with so much love, and which thou favorest so highly, I will persecute and destroy. To this end I will direct all my power and all my aspirations, and this woman, mother of the world, I will hurl from the position in which thou hast proposed to place her, and at my hands the plan which thou settest up shall come to naught." End quote. So notice that Satan, once Lucifer, once such a high angel, said if there was to be a hypostatic union, that's the union of God and man, he sees this is going to take place before time. Before time, he sees this is going to take place in the womb of the Blessed Virgin Mary. And Satan demanded that if there's going to be a hypostatic union, it must happen in him. He says, unjust are these commands and injury is done to my greatness. This human nature which thou, Lord, lookest upon with so much love, and which thou favors so highly, I will persecute and destroy. Now, of course, we know Mary ends up crushing his head. Mary says, let it be done unto me according to your word. So trust is the key of Mary crushing Satan's head. But trust is also in salvation history. Again, Exodus 16. This is what the Lord has commanded. Gather of it. Remember when they're out in the desert and bread comes that they call manna. God says, quote, gather of it each one of you as much as he can eat. You shall each one take an omer according to the number of the persons that each of you has in his tent. And the people of Israel did so. They gathered some more, some less. But when they measured it with an omer, whoever gathered much had nothing left over, and whoever gathered little had no lack. Each of them gathered as much as he could eat, 
And Moses said to them, Let no one leave any of it over till the morning. End quote. So God only gives enough manna as for the day. Again, whoever gathered much had nothing left over, and whoever gathered little had no lack. And it's very much like what we heard in today's reading. Therefore, do not be anxious about tomorrow, for tomorrow will be anxious for itself. Sufficient for the day is its own trouble. Now, when I was doing my prayer, my own mental prayer, what struck me in the Greek when I was reading this is this, your heavenly father knows that you need them all. All these things, food, drink, clothing. Your heavenly father knows that you need them all. Oidengar hopater. Now, gar is the Greek for four. It's often just kind of a random conjunction put in there. I guess nothing in scripture is random, but it just means four. And then ho, it's an O with a little hat pointing towards the inside of the word, is the. It's a masculine for the. And then pater, same in Latin, father. So pater oiden means the father knows, father knows. God the father knows what you need. Jesus says this right after he mentions food, drink, and clothing. I want you to imagine a Middle Eastern dad holding a newborn son, that culture that is so based in family, so based in forgiveness, so based in hospitality, even with all the problems in the Middle East, they are known for how deep their family roots and their forgiveness goes. Imagine this new Middle Eastern father holding a newborn son. Of course he knows everything that son needs to stay alive. But as that child gets older, he doubts and he runs away. Well, here's the mystery of you and me in the face of the cross. I don't mean the suffering in our life, but what Jesus does for us on the cross. Think about it. The cross shows that God never was holding anything back from us, like Satan thought, like Adam and Eve thought. Think about his arms out, giving, not taking anything from us men or women, or even angels except adoration. So remember what I said earlier about the tree in the garden. Eve is there in paradise, but she worries God is holding something back at that one tree she can't have And then Satan tricks Eve into thinking that God's heart is not good. As the serpent says, For God knows that when you eat of it, your eyes will be opened, and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. Okay, so right there, God appears to be holding something back to her. But the cross is the real tree where we see God was never holding anything back. How devastating for Lucifer to see that at Jesus' death, with Jesus' arms open, that in giving that hypostatic union to Mary, God was never shortchanging Lucifer anything. God shortchanged Luther nothing in making Mary higher than the cherubim and the seraphim. And now look where distrust in God's goodness and generosity landed Lucifer as Satan in the lowest place in hell. But Lucifer thought God was holding back. So millions of angels rebelled and became demons with him. But it's essentially the same trick that they snagged Adam and Eve on and you and me and all of our sins. That we didn't trust the goodness of God and we think he's holding something back. And the cross proves he's not. And that's why today's gospel is so much greater than just thinking it's some Hakuna Matata message. I believe it was St. Francis de Sales who said the next worst thing that can afflict a soul besides sin is anxiety. Now before you all get scrupulous on that, St. Francis is not saying anxiety is sin. But we know Satan fishes in troubled waters. So as most of you know, Adam and Eve were saved. They deserved hell for what they did to humanity, but they are in the Catholic Church calendars. I think the Roman Roman martyrology and the Eastern calendars as definitely saved. So they're in heaven now. They were in limbo for 4,000 years, but they are saved. 
So think of Adam and Eve in limbo at the moment Jesus died. Now it's true, they were retroactively saved by the cross, remained in limbo. But at the moment from limbo, seeing when Jesus died, that moment also of seeing the misery that they brought into billions of people's lives, that they got rolling into play through their disobedience 4,000 years prior. But at that moment of looking up, seeing Jesus die on the cross, they also saw God was holding nothing back from them. Never was. In fact, all he kept from them was that which would hurt them. Think again of that Middle Eastern father holding his newborn son. What a great father in heaven we have who gives us everything we need. Imagine the hope Adam and Eve felt, but also that sense of shame that they always could have trusted God. So for both ways of prayer today, here's my suggestion. Place yourself at the cross with Mary as if you were St. John or St. Mary Magdalene, if you're a woman, either way. As you think of these words, meditate on these words with Mary at your side as you look at Jesus on the cross. Your Father in heaven knows you need all these things. Jesus dying naked is the perfect example at this moment because of the coming resurrection, which we all participate in in our own bodily resurrection one day. So even if it seems like God's not going to deliver on this earth, we know his promise is true because of the resurrection. So lay at the foot of the cross in today's prayer all your distrust in God, especially doubts of his goodness and providence that lead to your sins of grasping. All those sins we talked about at the beginning of this podcast. See that God never held anything back from you in life except the things you wanted that he knew would destroy you. He never was holding anything back, so neither should you hold anything back in trust in his divine providence. Please say an hour, Father, for me. Et benedictio Deum, ne potentis, partis, fili, spiritus, sancti, descendit, supervosit, maniat, semper, amen.